0: It's really a wonderful time of the year. I just love uh, love this this time, this Christmas season. It's good to sing the Christmas songs. That's uh, that's neat. We don't get to sing them that often. Turn in your Bibles to the Book of Revelation, Revelation chapter five. Revelation chapter five. As we just move through this section, this this book, this book of Revelation, it's such a good. There's so much here. There's it's such a rich book. I'll begin reading in verse. 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures, those four living creatures that he had mentioned earlier, and the elders. And the number of them were was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever the four living created or the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped let's go to the Lord in prayer father we thank you for this blessed time as we come together as a church family to look into your word uh, i pray for understanding illumination from your holy spirit i pray for application to our own lives help us to see these glorious truths understand them, have them change the way we view things, change the way we think, and then may they work themselves out into our lives. And Lord, we would praise and glorify You for that act. That act of maturing us in the faith. We thank You again for the blessing of the family, the church of God. We just thank You for... The context in which we have to open these books and read this text. Along with family, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now John has recorded for us what he has seen in heaven. He saw a door open. He goes through that door and he was invited to come up to heaven and record these things for us. That's what we see at the beginning of chapter 5. And the thing that he sees first is this throne. God sitting on the throne and he gives us a description of that throne and the one on the throne. And and God is holding, God the Father is holding a book, a scroll. And the focus was all on this one particular moment. He's holding this scroll in his right hand. And there was sent out a message, who's worthy to open the scroll? And uh, and, and that message went out throughout all the universe and it was found that nobody was worthy. Nobody qualified. Nobody was able to take the book and open its seals, it says. And John began to cry. He understood the implications of this. And he began to cry. And one of the elders turned to John and said, John, it's, it's inappropriate for you to be crying. Don't cry. Look at the lamb. We have a lamb that was slain. He was slain. And all the attention turns to the lamb. The lamb goes up. And the lamb takes, takes The book. And that's the moment that is recorded for us in Scripture. John records for us. This is a significant moment. This is an important moment in really all of history. When Christ takes the book. And what happens is is worship just breaks out. He is going to take the book. He is going to open it. It's really a book of judgment. It's essentially the title deed to the earth. And the first thing that has to happen is the earth has to be purged of all of its sin. Taken care of, and then restored. And then Christ will rule over this earth. It has to be restored first. And this worship scene then we see in in heaven. And Christ is is the center of this. All the attention is upon him. He is the center. It starts with him and then it moves by the end of this passage in verse chapter verse eleven down to verse fourteen. The 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 picture is he and Christ, he and God the Father together as one. And they are, being, they are receiving all of this praise as a Godhead. Starts out with Christ and Christ is united with God and they are worshipped together. That's what you see by the time you get to the end of verse 14. And in this passage, this is what we're talking about here, this passage then, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they were immediately around the throne, and they were the ones praising the, the Lamb for being worthy to take this book. Then they were joined by myriads of angels. We know that one third of the heavenly host, the angels, were kicked out of heaven, they were judged. So there's two-thirds of the angels still in heaven, and all of them, all of them join. And there's still myriads and myriads of these. It's just an an uncountable number of angels, innumerable. Verse 13, if you look at verse 13, And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and, and under the earth and in the sea, all the created things, that's the immaterial things, Those are the inanimate objects of Christ's creation, of God's creation, and and you're reminded of Christ. Christ said, "You know, if if men doesn't praise me, the very rocks themselves will cry out and praise me." And so, all of that they're accompanied by every living are all the all the things, all the creatures that God has created, all the things of the earth, and they're just screaming out. They're praising the Lord as well so this is a, a, a crescendo if you will of praise to god and christ is the focus starts off with christ and then it merges into christ and god the father both together now you need to see this christ is the hub and god the father is the hub of the universe everything revolves around them turn over to romans chapter 11 romans chapter 11 and verse 33 This is so good. Just follow with me just for a minute. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. And who has known the mind of the Lord? Who uh, become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be given back to him? Nobody owes or God doesn't owe anybody anything. And here's the key, verse thirty six. For from him and through him and to him all are all things are all things. He is the hub. Everything finds its existence from him. He is the hub of the wheel. As the wheel of the universe turns, he is in the center. Now keep that in mind and turn over to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, and this is the passage read for us earlier. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. This is talking about Christ. The first one is talking about God the Father. This is now talking about Christ. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. God is spirit. can't see spirit, right? He's invisible. But Christ, He is the image, He is the visible image, the visible representation, if you will, of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is not not that he was the born first. He is the preeminent one of all creation, and um, he is he is visible. We can see him. He put clothes on. He put skin on, if you will, skin, so we can see him. He is no longer invisible. He is visible to this degree. Verse sixteen. For by Him all things were created both in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. He is the preeminent before all things. And in Him all things hold together. Now we see here that Christ is the hub. He is the center of the wheel. The whole universe revolves around Him. Which is, which is right. The answer is yes. Both of them. Folks, we believe in a triune God. We believe in the trinity. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> God the Son. But let us never forget, we serve one God. They are completely united. And that's a picture that we see in Revelation here. let's turn our attention to that passage, because Christ, it starts out, like I said, worship starts out with Christ, and then there's a union. Christ comes to the throne, he takes the book, and then there's this cacophony of worship that that breaks out to both of them. Both of them are being worshipped together, as it should be, as it should be. And by the way, this is just before Christ then is going to go forth and He's going to pronounce judgment upon the earth and He's going to begin to purge the earth. And here's what we saw a couple of weeks ago. This is part two. Here's what we saw. That Christ must be worshipped in a way that is worthy of who He is. And He is God Himself. He must have the reverence and the awe, the respect to be worshipped as who He is. And that is God the Father. And the thing is, sometimes we don't worship Him in that way. And we begin to evaluate our worship here at Daniel's Bible Church. And even our own worship in our own heart. And um, we want our worship to reflect that of, of heaven. We want it to be pure worship. Now, we saw a couple of weeks ago that the direction of heavenly worship is toward God. Sometimes we get in the way. We are distracted. We get in the way of heavenly worship. Number two, we also saw that, that worship is ignited by truth. What they saw laid out before them, this truth was being displayed in front of them. They understood the significance of Christ taking that book, the truth they, what they saw, and they reacted to that. It ignited. So true worship is ignited by truth. And then, number three, we saw last week or a couple of weeks ago is that the content of their worship was theology. They just parroted back to God what was true, what their perspective was on, on this. And it was true. They parroted back the theology. They were simply recognizing, they were simply acknowledging what was taking place before them and their understanding, this spiritual perspective, and they were putting value on it. They were putting value on it. They understood what was happening and they said, we will worship. This is so important. We will bow down and we will worship God and we will worship Christ. Now, here's the question we want to look at today. We can turn it to the question. What qualifies Christ then to receive this kind of worship worship of all the angels in heaven and all of the created things here on this earth what qualifies him to do that would well, they tell us this right here this is the real meat of this passage is in verse 12 and that's what i want to go over the key is is verse 12 look at verse 12 saying With a loud voice, so this is their worship, their response, they're saying with a loud voice, these myriads and myriads of angels saying with a loud voice, worthy, that's key. Why is He qualified? Because He is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Christ's death was the perfect provision of redemption for all of creation, for the created universe. He qualifies, he is worthy because he was slain and he's worthy then to receive and he gives us seven things. Seven characteristics of of Christ, seven characteristics we look at that and we and we look at God and we look at Christ and we say they're just one and the same. Seven characteristics that that John is pointing out here that they're worshiped, they were recognized by the the angels they saw it. And they're ascribing this worthiness to Christ. They're, they're pointing out that he is, he is worthy. And there's seven things in here. And I, I want to spend our time just going over these seven things. Number one. Number one. He is worthy to receive power. Worthy to receive power. Now, when Jesus was on earth, just before he goes up to earth, it, uh, he says, now all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me, and He has power. It has been given to me, and He, he entrusts that power. He says, Now go in my name, make uh, disciples, baptize. Jesus is omnipotent. He has all power. The word here for power is dinamon or dynamis. It's the word that we would get our word dynamite from. And now, they didn't have dynamite, they wouldn't have seen that kind of power. Their, the power that they would have understood would have been from nature. From nature. They would have understood that. Christ's creative power. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, the first passage that was read for us that we looked at earlier. He created all things. He has power to, to just ignite this universe into being with his very words. With his words. And he has the ability then to bring order to this universe as well. And when Jesus was on earth, we saw that he had power over nature. He had power over the demons. He had power over diseases. He had power, what? Over death. And we saw that power. We saw that. That's amazing. Now, I don't want you to be confused here. It says, worthy is a lamb to receive power. Now, this is not that they're ascribing power to him as though... And he needed some, and, and so we're gonna all get together and we're gonna ascribe, yes, we we believe that he gets to receive all the power. We're not assigning power to him. We understand, they understood, that his power was intrinsically within him. He has that power. In fact, we could understand it to be to possess it. He has it. It's His, intrinsically. That's just who He is. That's what He is. So it's not yielding our power to Him, yielding our authority to Him. We're just recognizing, or they're just recognizing, the power that is already His. Intrinsic. Intrinsic to who He is. And the picture, the best picture that we can see in uh, Scripture is when Christ raised from the dead. When Christ was dead a dead physical body, no life at all, and all of a sudden you have life. That's power. That's power. That's raw power. Life to death. Do we believe that Jesus is powerful? Do we believe? Could we say? Could you say? You are all powerful, Christ. You are all powerful. Now, we sing that. We sing that with our songs and these four walls. And we, we praise the Lord for his all powerfulness. And then we, we go out and we make this big display here. And then we go out and live as though he was not powerful. We, he, we live as though we serve an, an impotent God who's kind of maybe shortchanging us. And listen, the Bible says he is powerful. Let me ask you, what are you praying for? Are you praying as though God were infinitely powerful? He could do whatever that he could take. He could take someone that you're praying for, this unbeliever that you're praying for, this dead, cold, spiritually dead heart, and ignite life. God, Christ Jesus, has that ability. Has that ability. Say so is all power. He's worthy to receive power. Number two, worthy to receive riches. Riches. And by the way, each one of these would have their own article, and the word and is appropriately scattered throughout each one of this. This power and riches and wisdom and might. It's it's all just like that, because they're all equal. They're all equal. And he has riches. Now now this is wonderful for us. We serve a Christ who is infinitely rich. I love this story. You've got to turn over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 24. Jesus and Peter are together. And they come into Capernaum. And these men were collecting the, um, the temple tax. Essentially, it's what it is. The temple tax. Once a year, every man, of the, uh, all the Jews... Every man had to, if you're over 18, you had to pay a temple tax, which was one day's wages. And, uh, and these men come up to Peter and say, hey, do does your teacher, does he pay taxes? And Peter says, well, yes, yes, he does. And, um, and Jesus wants to point something out to, to Peter. He's trying to make a, a lesson. And he's just pointing out to Peter in this passage. He says, you know, Peter, do you think that the king's son would pay taxes? Well, no, no, it'd be from the people, right? It wouldn't be from the son. And he's pointing out he's the son of God. He shouldn't have to pay these taxes. But then he says in verse 27, however, however, he says, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw a hook in and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you find a shekel. A shekel. That would be a couple of days' wages there. A shekel. And take, take that and give it to them for you and for me. That's amazing to me. Jesus is not in want for money. If he wants money, he can pull it from the most obscure places. They're, these people, if they heard this, that's, that's silly. But you know what? He is, he is, what is he pointing out there? He's not desperate. If he wants money, he just goes to the fish's mouth and gets it and just... I wish it were so easy. Right? For, for Christ, it's all his. This isn't, this isn't hard for him. And in the context of Revelation, if you turn back to Revelation, his, he has unconditional wealth in every realm, in all the realms, as benefits the all-sufficient God. It's all his. It's all his spiritual wealth and material wealth. In Haggai chapter 2, in verse 8, he says, He created all things. Job said this, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's his prerogative. He owns it all. He can give it to whomever he wishes and he can take it from whomever he wishes. By the time you get to the New Testament, Paul says, We brought nothing into the world and we can certainly carry nothing out. <laughs> it stays here. It stays right here. And, and it's all His. We didn't, we didn't come out of our mother's womb with a handful of gold and say, man, let me add and I'm ready. And you know what? When we die, we're not going to take it with us. Not going to take it with us. There's one verse, wish we could. And then when you get up to heaven, then they say, well, why would you bring pavement Streets of gold, yeah. all right. Turn over. First Timothy chapter 6. Now you need to see this verse. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 says this. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Now the people that are in the church that have wealth, the tendency was to be to trust in that wealth. He says don't, don't do that. And don't be conceited. Um but on God, you focus your attention on God, who richly supplies us. It is his, and he just gives it to us. And he gives it to whoever he wishes. Whomever he wishes. He gives he gives it. And look what he says. Supplies, richly supplies to us or us, with all things what? To enjoy. We have this to enjoy. We can enjoy the riches that God has given us. You know, and I look at Donald Trump and I say, well, man, he he likes Donald Trump more. Or other people will look at me and say, man, he, looks, he likes Carl Dingus more. No, no. He just indiscriminately chooses at his will whoever he wishes to give riches to. It's just the way it is. He is in charge of that. Christ is in control. He's the one who determines who is rich and who is not. Because it's all His. He intrinsically owns it all. And He is in charge of the world's riches. Now, we may not like that. We may say, man, that's just not fair. It's not fair that we get to live in America and a lot of third world countries. And they don't have what we have. And we want to equalize all of that you know what, we don't serve a religious system that says, okay, do all this, 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 this. No, we serve a person, a God. God is in charge of this. And He decides. It's a will, it's a mind that He is in charge of who gets the riches. And we need to keep that in mind. Now, there's a couple of principles that we need to remember. There is a reaping, sowing principle here on this earth, isn't there? You, you will reap what you sow. You sow hard work and you, you work hard. Then you may get some out of it. There's that sowing reaping principle. James tells us another principle there. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And he says, even the things that you ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. You ask with wrong motives. You ask so that you can spend it on your own pleasures. And you know, I look at myself and I say, God, why have you made me rich? And probably the answer to that is, it's for my own motives. My own, my own. I want to just consume it in my own pleasures. I want to do what I want to do, and God determines who is rich. And you know what we find in Revelation? All these riches, where are they going to go? We're going to just place them at the feet of Jesus. They're all His. We're going to place them back at the feet of. They're His. Here he is. He is infinitely wealthy. He is all riches, intrinsically rich. Number three, he is wealthy. I'm sorry, he is wise, worthy to receive wisdom. Now that's omniscience. He knows everything. Now, we, man, man's wisdom is, we see it by the way he Man manipulates things. Manipulates this physical properties of this world. And we can invent this. And we can create this. And we can build that. And we see that, man, that was really wise. Or maybe a turn of phrase and and uh, reading a book. And we read that and we think, man, he is really wise. God's wisdom is seen in his creation. And here's a definition for you. This is, this is one of the theologians that I, I read. He says this, God's wisdom is seen... In the conscious and purposeful creation and government of the world. This is his world. And He's seen. It's, his wisdom is seen in the creation of it and the governing of it. He goes on to say, in the appointing limitations. He appoints goals and uh, executes his will in the molding of destiny. Now, essentially, we're not going to see. We could see bits and pieces of it. But when it's all said and done, we're going to look back at the, all of the history. We look back at everything and we're going to say how incredibly wise God is. All wisdom. All wisdom. In Ephesians chapter 3, we don't take time to churn there, but Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul just points out one little thing, and that is the church. And he said, he mentions in that passage that the angels look at the church, just that one little entity that God, Christ is, is managing now, Christ is in charge of now. And the, the angels look at that and say, how wise. They look at the wisdom of the church. Of the church. It's amazing. And Paul says that in Colossians chapter 1, he says that Christ became wisdom for us. James encourages us to ask God for wisdom. If we lack wisdom, ask God. Wisdom is displayed by Christ, by the way He dealt with people, by the way He handled people. You're in the book of Revelation. Just turn over a couple passages, or a couple pages to Revelation chapter 2. And this one little verse, just point out to you. And I, we need to look for God's wisdom. Just the way He, look at this. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 23 says this. And I will, I will kill her children with pestilence. Now, These are false teachers that have gone into the church, and he says, "I'm going to wipe them out." He said, "Well, what does that have to do with wisdom? Just the way God deals with people." And then watch what he says. And all the churches, all their other churches, then will will know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts. I know your heart. I know what you believe in your heart. I know. I know what's in your heart. He judges based upon that. And we look and we see the wisdom of that. There's nothing that's hidden before Him. Our hearts are are like bugs under a microscope. We, We can see it all. He can see it all. He sees everything. He sees the heart. There's no pretense with God. We cannot pretend to be spiritual. He sees it. There's no hiding. It's all exposed to Him. And He is infinitely wise. He knows exactly what that heart needs. Now here's the kicker. Here's the thing. We have this wisdom. God has made this wisdom available in His Word. We can ask for it as well. He's made this wisdom available in His Word. But we never tap into that wisdom. It's here. God's wisdom is written down for us. But we don't tap into it. The way God thinks, the way God understands, the way God has orchestrated this universe is all—it's all right here. Everything that we need to know is right here, but we don't tap into it. Now, who, who is foolish? We are. Christ has all wisdom. He, he is wise. He is worthy because He is all wise. He is all wise. And number four, worthy to receive might. This is a little bit different than power. Power is kind of explosive power. This is, this is might. This is capacity of sustaining power, if you, you want to, might want to say it that way. Sustaining power. This is kind of energy. He has the, the capacity to energize this whole universe. This whole universe. It's a, it's a strength uh, that he possesses, whether it 's being activated right now or not that was that 's the technical term it 's kind of like a clydesdale you, you ever see those in now it 's around Christmas time and they pull the out. Those are massive animals aren 't they? they their muscles are just so strong, and they would see how how much they could pull right. You see those Clydesdales, they dig in and they're pulling thousands and thousands of pounds. They have so much muscle. And you can look at their muscle and you say, man, they are strong. They are mighty. They have huge capacity there. And that's, that's Christ. The psalmist says the Lord is strong and He is mighty. In Matthew, we see that Christ is able to bind Satan. In Revelation, we see that He does bind Satan. Now, we understand that. We understand energy. We understand this kind of strength. We live in an area that digs coal. And we go into the ground and we dig this coal. And we pull out a lump of coal. And it's just a black rock. And you think, well, this is it? Yeah, this is all the fuss is right here. Black rock. But we understand you take that coal, you sell that coal to an energy plant. And what does that energy plant do? provides energy. provides electricity. And sustains cities with this coal. That's Christ. He, can, he has endless, endless source of energy. And then we go out and say, I can't. We feel sorry for ourselves. Life is hard. I can't, I can't, I can't. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do we serve a God with all might? Do we we serve a mighty God? Or is he a weak God? Or what are we telling ourselves? Are we speaking the truth to ourselves? When we say, I can't, I can't, I can't, is that the truth? We serve a God who can. Now, we've got to be smart. We can't be stupid about this thing. But you know what? God is unlimited in in his strength his power is infinite and it's in, intrinsic to who Christ is having Paul, all might all might number 5 worthy to receive honor timon is the word honor this is this is recognition this is um, to be put on a position in a position of recognition and honor uh, in in a rightful place of position of honor we know that when Christ ascended, remember in Ephesians, Paul tells us, he reminds us now, when Christ came, went up to heaven, He was seated at the right hand of... He was exalted, right? In Ephesians chap, or Philippians chapter 2, we see that um, that Christ was given the name that is above every name, and that He is going to be exalted. It's inherently, intrinsically, His all honor. All honor. He is crowned with all honor. He is closed. with... Clothed with honor. Scripture says. This is just logical. I mean think about it. You have a God who who has all power. And he has all wisdom. All power is his. If we have any power. It's borrowed from him. He has all wisdom. If we have any wisdom. It's borrowed from him. So if we do anything. Who gets the glory? Who gets the honor for it? He does. He does. And. And. Sometimes, we seem to want to take the credit. We want to take the credit. Paul points out, what do you have that you didn't first receive? Any gifts? Any talents or abilities that you have? Those are from from God. This is a real test of humility. Who gets the credit for your life? Now, can you imagine? Just imagine with me. Back in the Garden of Eden, you you have Adam there. Adam finds this seed, He gets this seed, he plants this seed, and all of a sudden, a a, a tree grows. And then off that tree, apples. And and he he even finds more seeds within the apples. And he says, hey God, come here, look what I did. And I put this in the ground, and look, I did that. And God, what's God going to say? Look, that seed could have accidentally fallen on the ground and done the same thing. What did you do, Adam? You know, that's our life. We don't do anything. If we have anything, if we have done anything, it is because God has given it to us. He has given us the ability. So who gets the glory? Who gets the honor for that? He does. All honor goes to Him. All honor goes to Him. He deserves it all. Number six. We're moving quickly. Number six. Worthy... To receive glory. That's a little bit different. A little bit different than honor. Doxa. Doxology is the word we would get from that. Uh, Who's worthy to receive glory. Glory is this divine and heavenly uh, radiance, if you will, of God. And again, it's intrinsic to who God is. One of the commentaries said it is the mode of his being is glory. The only thing that hides God from us is just light, this glorious light. If there's any kind of visibility to God at all, which there isn't, He is spirit. There's there's a light that emanates. There's, that's a, that's what we see in, that's what we see in Scripture. And when we look at the, the Mount of Transfiguration, when Christ went up uh, with his disciples on the mount, he, he almost like pulls back his skin, and all they see is this transcendent glory, His glory, His glory. And that's who God, this, this lofty, majestic God. That's essentially what this glory is. One verse that I, I'll leave with you in, in this. In John chapter 1. This is a wonderful verse. John says this, he said, And the Word became flesh. That's Jesus Christ became flesh. He, he veiled His glory by putting skin on, if you will. He became flesh and He dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ exuded that, that glory. And it was seen in the physical, what John is talking about here, this divine glory is seen in his character and in his actions. They could just see. You watch his life, look at his character, and he is just godlike. He's godlike. He's like in his action. He's just God. He's there. He's, it's just God. It's amazing. And Hebrews chapter 1 tells us why. He says, um, verse 3 And he is the radiance of his glory. Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. That's Christ. That's Christ. Now, when you see something beautiful, what do you do? You're kind of drawn to it, aren't you? When you see glory, when you see beauty, you're drawn to it. You're attracted to it. You're amazed at it. And you you, you want to gaze at it. You want to look at it. And Christ is the most amazing, glorious thing. He is glorious. And we're attracted to it. We're attracted to it. And we should be. But I wonder sometimes if we don't say, Oh, I've seen that before. I don't need to look at that again. I'm kind of bored at that. Now, where's the problem? Is the problem in the glory? No, the problem's with us. And, and we begin to think, No, I've got this whole thing figured out. And... and I don't need it anymore. There's no attraction to us. There's no pull. Are you pulled? Do you, do you long to see the beauty of Christ? See His power? See His wisdom at work? And, and, and be drawn into His Word? That's the way we are to be. It should appeal to us to the point that we want to develop those same characteristics, those same attributes in our own life. Let's move on quickly. He's worthy of all glory. And He's worthy to receive blessing. And this is just, the word is praise. It's praiseworthiness. It's, again, intrinsic to Christ Jesus that He would receive praises, praiseworthiness, like I said. The Bible is filled with this. One that I will point out is let everything that gives breath, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. We are to praise the Lord. This is one of his most God like characters. No one is praise worthy intrinsically. We praise one another for what we get from each other. But you know what? God is intrinsically, Christ is intrinsically worthy of all praise, whether he gives us anything or not, whether we receive anything or not. It is not as though Christ says, I'm going to bless your life so that you will praise me. Oh, I need my ego uh, uh, stroked. And so I'm going to bless you so that you'll praise me. Mm -mm. No, he is worthy of praise and all glory and all honor and all blessing, whether he does anything or not. It is intrinsic to who he is. That's profound, folks. This is a praise that comes from our heart. In appreciation. We're just in awe. And we praise Him. And here's what I was just thinking about. You know, this, this week, do you count your blessings throughout the week? Do you count your blessings? And by the time you get into the church service, you're just so full up. you is ready to explode in praise to God. We've seen seven characteristics of Christ, and these characteristics of Christ are really pictures of God himself. This is, who, this is what it is to be God, to have all of these same characteristics, all of these same character. When I, we have a, a, a baseball uh, bag at our house, and we haven't used it in a long time, and, but uh, every once in a while we'll pull it out, and I will put on that old baseball mitt that I have. And you know what? That thing still fits my hand perfectly. I used it years ago, but it fits my hand perfectly. It's my glove; it just molds to my hand. Jesus Christ, just almost—he just slides right into that perfect position, right into that perfect place of God being on the throne, And and they line up perfectly. He is God, and He is worthy of all the praise that that can be given. He's worthy of it all. It's a perfect fit, and and you have to draw the conclusion: He's God. He's God. He's not a mere man. He is God. All of these characteristics are attributed to Him. Christ then must be worshipped in a way that is worthy of who He is, with respect, with reverence, and with all with majesty and glory, and all the honor that we can muster. We worship inside these four walls. But folks, we worship every day of the week. Our lives are worship to God. Do we worship this God? A God with all of these characteristics? Would God smell the worship of our week and say, man, that is a a fragrant aroma to my nostrils? Or would He say, that is nausea to my stomach? Do we serve? Do we praise the God of the Bible, the Christ of Scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank You for this passage and Lord, for just exposing us to truth. Lord, we live in a reality that it wants to mask this truth. It doesn't want to acknowledge this truth. But but here it is in all its raw glory and raw form. And we 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 just take this truth in. Lord, may it saturate our minds and and may we may we worship Christ as the way He deserves to be worshipped with a life that is that is glorious to Him, with all majesty, with all glory and honor and blessing. Lord, He deserves it. And we thank You for being a one God. Three persons, we understand that. But one God. Lord, lofty thoughts for us. They're over our heads. We we just pray that we would mull these things over and apply them to our heart as we see the best way to apply them. As we think through them throughout this week. Let us meditate on Scripture. Lord, give us the wisdom that you offer to us in Scripture. Allow us to tap into this this spiritual understanding. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. I'm, you could see me here today or even throughout the week or any of our elders I'm sure they would love to be able to help you as well you know it's it's all about Christ it's all about pointing to, to Christ pointing to God. May we live a life that is worthy of his praise. Uh, Tim coming.